listening to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As we have a look at the last week or so in film, including a fair few new releases, some news involving Harrison Ford and various films and characters that he's done, and some awards. And as well as that, we've got the quiz, which we're going to start off with, uh, where it's two all. The winner will uh, make the other one watch something probably very bad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. up for you. So, yes, me asking the questions. Owen versus Callum. Callum playing on my behalf. Um, with the news that the co- casting for a young Han Solo has nearly been completed, I've gone through and had a look for some actors and actresses that auditioned for roles in films they didn't get. And I'm going to give you the actress or actor and ask you to guess which film it is. And we're going to start off with Scarlett Johansson. Which Robin Williams family comedy did she audition for? Nightmare of the Museum 2. No. Uh, Flubber. No. You can have one uh, more guess each on this one and then we'll move on. <laughs> Jumanji. It was Jumanji. Oh, well, yeah. The part went to Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, I, sorry, choice, I, I, I guess? I don't yeah. know how this... Yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, my thing is because, like, Scott Johansson is actually relatively young, so I thought, you know, it's like, so, something I keep thinking she wasn't born at the time of Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Klein, who you might remember from some but not all of the American Pie films that feature the original cast and not the, uh, and not the um, spin-off films that don't, he auditioned for which musical? Oh, God. I'll give, uh, I'll give you another clue if neither of you get it after one guess each. Callum, nine? No. Uh, Les Mis? No. Um, in this musical, all of the songs were by... The same pop group. Buzzworld. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> that wasn't even a musical, was it? It had music in it. Uh, I was going to say, I wouldn't know. Owen, do you know? <laughs> uh, no, of course not. Why would I? Uh, I've got nothing. Okay, the, the part went to Dominic Cooper. Dominic Cooper in a musical? Yes. You have no idea how tempting it is for me to just cheat right now and look up with <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what musicals he's in. I mean, I would have, at this point, guessed Lame is just because he's British. Well, I mean, uh, like, like every British actor was in Lame is. I mean, just could script it all British yeah. actors all <laughs> Lame is. I think them's the rules. Now, that was Harry Potter. Okay. Oh, that... oh are, we, are we giving up? Yes, we are. Mamma Mia. Oh, well, mm. it was that musical, I guess, with the band that just did all the music. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Chris Klein can sing, can't he? Kevin Klein, whoever it was. Like, someone can sing. It would have been better than Pierce Brosnan, at least. <laughs> I've heard. Again, I've not actually watched Mamma Mia, so... No inclination to watch it either. Uh, Tom Selleck auditioned for one of the... Uh, for the main role in one of the biggest movies... Superman. Fran- no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to finish that clue there, Steve? One of the biggest... Um, one of the role... Uh, the main role... In one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. I do know which one it is. Well, let Callum have a guess. If I'm waiting. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get this wrong now. It's, uh... it's probably one of the most famous 
Um, yeah, that doesn't help, Steve. <laughs> oh, the most famous film franchises. Oh, no, 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 not the most. You know, one, one of the most famous <laughs> stories of this person auditioned for this role but didn't get it. Terminator. I don't know. No, it was... Uh, uh, Indiana Jones. Yes, Owen. Thank he auditioned for the role <laughs> of Indiana Jones. Yep. Uh, the next one is Kurt Russell auditioned for one of the main roles in one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. <laughs> Kurt, who would Kurt Russell have auditioned for? Okay, I'm Is it Indiana Jones as well? Oh, yes, uh, Callum. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess here now there's a Harrison Ford theme going on here and just say Star Wars. You are correct, Callum. <laughs> uh, Was it Han Solo? Yes. Of course. So you got you to swap the patterns, Owen. Yeah, I should have. In, You're winning anyway, so... 2-1 now. Uh, in in 2010, Josh Hutchison auditioned for the role of which superhero? Spider-Man. You are correct. It is Spider-Man. Uh, Owen, we're all losing the will to live here. And <laughs> you one. What are you going to make me watch? Oh, yes, I've managed to stop you from uh, making me watch whatever it is that you've been threatening me with for weeks now. Um... So I, d- I gave a clue before we started recording to Callum that he had seen this movie. Uh, I think it was last year. It might yeah, have been the yeah, year. Which, which A, doesn't narrow it down, but B, was absolutely why. I totally just threw that completely, obviously. <laughs> but I think you'll agree, Callum, it's a fine choice. Steve, on Netflix UK, you are going to watch Pudsy the Dog. <laughs> the, f- the film I'm going to make you watch is worse than that. And I'm going to keep it back. Well, there's a theme going. There's loads of dog movies on Netflix, so I'm lined up for the next however many wins that I have in the quiz. Right. Uh, Underdog. Uh, uh, Firehouse uh, Dog. Uh, the that... Duke. You've got loads there. Can uh, I just watch Homeward Bound? That's got two dogs <laughs> in it. Was there like seven Beethoven sequels as well? Probably. There's, there's Beethoven's Big Break. <laughs> that one oh, Owen, you are a monster. <laughs> this is still getting revenge for Kill Keith, I think. Yeah. It's still like haunting me. So Pudsey the dog, the movie. The dog who won Britain's Got Talent stars as Pudsey, a lovable dancing dog determined to save a family's beloved home from an evil land developer. So, so that, that, I'd like to put, as I say, the dancing is in air quotes, like in massive <laughs> air quotes here. It yeah. does things in this movie that if it was backed by music would, con- would technically constitute dancing, but the film doesn't back them with music. So it's just uh, awkward. Just standing on its back legs. Voiced by everybody's yep. 43rd favourite BBC sketch comedy personality, David Walliams. Yeah, you've got that to look forward to. <laughs> oh, man. I'm looking forward to your review of that. I'm going to get drunk and watch it. <laughs> That's probably the best do, way. Do it, uh, no, no, no. Without alcohol, please. Come on. No no AIDS. No AIDS in this situation here. <laughs> Not, no drugs. No, mind, no. I, mind, I, I, I did it all completely sober. So, mind-altering yeah. substances. I think the only like stipulation we should place on these booby prizes is that you have to be conscious. Otherwise, I think you know, watching get drugged or drunk doesn't really. I mean, make like, much in fairness, to be asked to relate, you know, the um, like the part of the movie as he saw it on hallucinogens, probably more entertaining than the movie <laughs> yeah. itself. Yeah, I mean, if I I've got a 
uh, fingerprint stick in, in my flat. Can't just have a sniff <laughs> on that first before I watch it. Not, not that any of us here at Fail Critics endorse drug use or enhanced supplements here when watching a movie, obviously. No. Well, if you do I have... I know, a... after watching Divergent Allegiant. Hmm. Yeah. If you're listening via Acast and you do uh, have a drug problem, click the link now that I am <laughs> probably going to forget to put here. I won't put it there. There's no chance of that happening. Oh, don't do drugs and stay in school, kids. What, what, what You'll only end up doing like... podcasts at stupid o'clock because your stupid computer doesn't stupid work. Mm. News, anybody? Okay, news. Um, there's been some news. and <laughs> in, the, wait. In, the, in the news, we have had the, um, the MTV Movie Award nominees have been announced. I did the probably predictable thing when Callum mentioned this. I scoffed a little bit. Thinking yep. the MTV Awards. And then you explained it to me, Callum. So why should people pay attention to the MTV Awards this year? Uh, well, first off, it's the 25th MT- annual MTV Movie Awards here. 25th anniversary. So, you know, big, big one. Ever. But also must the fact that they're actually genuinely trying to grow up. Actually, yeah. like, like in many years, we like to make fun of the MTV Movie Awards because they are clearly aimed at... Um, teenagers and teenage girls especially with a whole load of nonsense categories and shoving all the young adult franchises in together and best shirtless scene but this year they're genuinely trying to grow up with um look like for example the movie of the year nominees are mm-hmm. avengers age voltron creed deadpool jurassic world star wars the force awakens and straight out compton and i don't know about you guys but that's arguably a better list than the actual best picture nominee list yes <laughs> Um, I mean, it's it's uh, it is like still quite populist, but at the same time, there are some genuinely good films in yeah. that list. Deadpool, yeah, plus, Creed. Plus as, yeah, yeah. Plus, as well, you got to think of course, like yeah, the Oscars get very snobbish towards blockbusters and that in general. Mm-hmm. But you can still get a great best films list just from blockbusters, as noted yeah. there. Um, there's also and the only uh, thing that's missing there, of course, is Mad Max. Oh, obviously, yeah, but. Um, you, you you can't have it all, unfortunately. Um, oh no, no, no! But it, hey, Charlize Theron is up for best female performance. Though. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. The other is also um, the true story category, based solely for movies based on true stories, which is probably going to go straight out of Compton for nominated film of the year. But I like I like that separation there. And there's an actual best documentary category with Amy Cartel Land, he naming Malala, the hunting ground, what happened, Miss Simone, and the wolf pack. Actual documentaries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, and one I particularly like as well um, is best virtual performance for voice acting and motion capture performances. Um, I mean, the initial inaugurations here are relatively you know, obvious ones. Jack Black for Kung Fu Panda 3, Seth MacFarlane for Ted 2, Lupita Nyong'o for Force Awakens, Amy Poehler for Inside Out, Andy Serkis for Force Awakens, and James Spader for Age of Ultron. Andy Serkis was in Star Wars about like 25 seconds. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, but like, it's progress of some kind. Like, you, don't, you don't see that a nomination for voice actors and motion captures outside of the Annie Awards. And in my opinion, anyway, like Amy Poehler and Phyllis Smith in um, Inside Out gave two of the best performances of last year and got no recognition because voice acting and voice acting is a piece of piss, right? Any celebrity can just walk into a booth and say shit and get paid. So, no, it's a genuinely good selection here as well. I mean, I mean, you still get your usual things, you know, best kiss, best villain and best hero and that, but it's trying. And that's something. I am, however, very upset because growing up means that there is no best shirtless performance nominee anymore. Because I like to study that hard here mm. as well. 
put all my attention into that. And how am I, how am I, <laughs> how am I supposed to know who has the best abs if I have not got an award specifically telling me who gave the best shortest performance last year? Here, it's anarchy. Go anarchy. So are we seriously suggesting they're, you know, in danger of alienating their target audience over this? I mean, that would be a travesty, of course. Um, <laughs> well, the actual awards are still being hosted by Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson, who conveniently have a movie coming out near that weekend as well. But um. So yeah, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any danger of that. Plus, it's still being voted on by the public. So yeah, yeah. So they're you, gonna. If, they do have a reputation. I think it's gonna be very difficult to shift it ever. But but they're you trying, know. and that's something. Right. But, yeah. I mean, they actually nominated Alicia Vikander's ex Machina performance, which is like, that, that's that's something. Mm-hmm. And also, at least that means she has a chance of getting an awards recognition for something that's not the Danish girl. We don't have to pretend anymore, guys. Yeah. We don't have to pretend <laughs> anymore. Also, Michael B. Jones of the best male performance, even though Leonardo DiCaprio will win. But um, hey, he was yeah. nominated, which is more than we could say for the Oscars. I mean, he might not win best male performance at MTV. They might it, go for something slightly out there, maybe Ryan Reynolds or something. I think, don't know, really. I think you're underestimating Leonardo DiCaprio's fan base on Tumblr, Owen. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in. Other news, even though nobody particularly wants it or cares, Indiana Jones 5 is being made. Got another working title of Indiana Jones of a continued depressing mining of baby boomer nostalgia. <laughs> mm. we, don't, we don't know if Sean Connery's going to return as his dad or Shia LaBeouf's going to return as his son. Well, well, we know Sean that... Connery's basically retired by this point, isn't he? Well, yes. Yeah, didn't he actually retire after League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I would have retired if <laughs> I'd made that. Yeah, yeah he retired him, probably. Yeah. Retired uh, all the way to the bank. That's like, that is a real retirement as well, not professional rest of retirement, where he just like spends two years off and then comes back, otherwise known as Stephen Soderbergh retirement. Yeah. You reckon he could just turn up in Indiana Jones 5 and just clock Shia LaBeouf around the back of the head with a chair. Just climbs through the auditorium and just goes smack. No, 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 no. Sean Connery comes back to kill Indiana Jones. And that's the whole point of this movie. Oh, yeah. Heel turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember movie involves remember movie involves Shia LaBeouf and Chris Pratt having to team up together in a competition to find out who's the next Indiana Jones for the <laughs> season. I I don't know why people want I don't know why this is happening. Nope. No. Steven Spielberg is also busy off doing far better and far more interesting movies. So well, appara- guess... apparently he is going to come back for this. Apparently. That's what I mean. He's coming. He's coming back. So I is guess. He going to direct or is he just produced? Apparently, I've seen direct somewhere. Well, he's done all produced. so far. I don't see any reason why he's suddenly going to stop now. But, I mean, I think the only thing that's inspired this to happen is that he was actually quite good as Han Solo in The Force Awakens. And they think, well, he can still do this kind of thing. I'm going to speak as someone who hasn't seen the Crystal Skull. Um, why <laughs> is he coming back for a start? Surely he must be aware. Even like, given what you've just said about um, the Han Solo stuff, and that was received quite well. Indiana Jones 4 was not received well, nor was his performance. Well, I mean, we could you could look at it this way. I think I'm okay to give away Force Awakens spoilers. <laughs> Actually, uh, Steve wasn't okay to give spoilers about Star Wars, so I have cut this little bit out of the podcast. Um, But don't worry, the conversation continues and it all kind of makes sense still, regardless. He's got, he needs to work like the rest of us. So Indiana Jones is his cash cow. He's going to get some dollar. I believe believe this movie exists because... Not only was he good in Force Awakens, but also like he actually looked alive 
for the first time. <laughs> no, like, like for the yeah. first time in a long time, he actually looked somewhat engaged with the material for reasons that probably became very obvious two thirds of the way in. But you um, mean you didn't think he was engaged with the Expendables? <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, like, but um, like my guess is that um, like he's just essentially again trying to get one last set of paychecks, and that this also exists because. Again, as much as I mock of it, there are people out there who do love Indiana Jones and are aware that Harrison yeah. Ford will not be acting for much longer. Not just in like you know films like Star Wars, but because he quite clearly does not give a shit about anything anymore and just <laughs> want to get as, you know one more movie out of it. And hey, if it's something they already think, great. I mean, they sat through Crystal Skull; they're gonna sit through this. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, I have seen a lot of positive instant reaction to the news. Um, through sort of Twitter and Facebook and it baffles me but yeah maybe yeah you're right maybe I'm underestimating just how big a fan of Indiana Jones most people are that well, they're willing to forgive the fourth and say the fifth will be better yeah plus I, I can't talk I'm a 24 fan and even though that series should have ended a long time ago and has no relevance <laughs> in the modern world I am still going to end up getting excited when the new when the reboot comes on when, starts getting close to TV screens. So, mm. yeah. Pete, you, you enjoy what you like, folks, okay? Staying with Harrison Ford, of sorts, we're kind of getting news that um, Han Solo's um, recasting as for a young Han Solo to, to come in the Han Solo standalone, uh, standalone film uh, has been narrowed down. There seem to be three names in, in the running, um, the one that I suppose is probably going to be most well known to most of us is Taron Egerton, who was in who's in Kingsman and also the uh, Eddie the Eagle film. Um, I thought he was very good in Kingsman. Not seeing him in anything else, Callum. Without giving us a, a, too much of a review on Eddie the Eagle, is he good in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's very good in Eddie the Eagle. Like Eddie the Eagle falls down would fall down completely basically if um, him and Hugh Jackman weren't any good. And he's very good. Like like like. Uh, I mean, I've got mixed feelings on this whole news and that here, which we'll get to in a second. But like, if him or Alden Ehrenreich, who's one of the other two guys in that as well, end up getting the role, then I'll be I'll be fine with it. Like, I'll be fine with them becoming the next big thing. But um, oh yeah, the, the third guy's also Jack Rayner, who was in Transformers: Age of Extinction and made less than no impression. So, oh, um, right. but, and he doesn't want to be making less than no impression when essentially he's going to have to be doing an impression of Harrison Ford. Yeah, but um, here's here, here's my thing. Why? Like, like, yep. like, why, why a Han Solo origin movie of all things? I, I mean, I know the answer. You don't need to tell me what the answer is here. I know the answer, but like, creatively, why? Like, start the first Star Wars was Han Solo's origin story. It's the whole fucking point of his character in that movie. Like, you don't need to see what he was like before that movie because that's why we start. But also, like, why that over anything else? Why are we having to tell the story about? the white guy here as well like why can't it be I, 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 a princess Leia origin story is far more interesting to me but I mean I don't know about you know how a daughter that there suddenly rise herself up to princess and then masterminding a rebellion that's what like that's far more interesting here than just what's basically gonna be like two hours of just mopey Han Solo I guess and it's just mm. I don't what, I don't what, understand what if what if what if Michael B. Jordan in a Lando Calrissian origin story that is something I would watch. Especially as well, Calvis is a very interesting character himself as well, who could support an origin movie as well. It's just, again, like the whole Han Solo, even with Phil Lord and Chris Miller, whose entire business cards right now basically just read, we work miracles. <laughs> doesn't, in, like, it, it's just, I don't, oh God, Disney, Disney are going to be doing this all wrong. I can, I can, I, I, like, mm -hmm. 
they are, they're going to go about Star Wars all wrong. And by the time episode nine comes <laughs> out, we are just going to be begging them to kill this off completely. But John John Goodman in a Jabba the Hutt origin story. <laughs> okay, that that that's just that's just mean. Steve. Yeah, is it? It is, is a very yeah. <laughs> evil though. Well, you'll, you'll watch ten, you'll watch Ten Cloverfield Lane on like Saturday. And I'll just reach out for the screen and murder you for saying that. One one for uh, uh, sports fans. Uh, Richard Keyes in a Chewbacca origin story. <laughs> uh, he might be good as the Jabba the Hutt though as well. Yeah. Sort of uh, his treatment of women, for yes. example. Yeah. Put him quite highly on that casting role, I imagine. Mm. Spe- speaking of, speaking of sports, um, very minor thing of Eddie the Eagle here. Um, I've now decided Jim Broadbent needs to play Murray Walker in if there's ever a biography <laughs> or if he ever like if he ever appears in a movie of any kind. Like he, I mean, like he's just a sports commentator, in, like in um, Eddie the Eagle for like a few seconds. But like, I just realised, holy shit, this would make an amazing Murray Walker. Somebody needs to do that now. Sorry, that's my, that's my sports contribution here. To this they should go, 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 do it now. Boo. Oh, oh. I've had too much to drink, I can tell. <laughs> I've, I've had a bottle of Henry Weston cider. I'm not even that drunk. And, you know, not even as bad as that. Uh. So, um, anyway, the final bit of news we're going to talk about is, um, this probably came out around the time of the last podcast, we didn't talk about it, the latest uh, Captain America Civil War trailer has... I'm going to use the term dropped because I'm down with the kids. Yeah, dropped is yeah, dropped. consistent from last week it's as well. Blowing up on the Twitter spheres. Exactly. Mm. And Major and... hashtag brandings all over the place. <laughs> and Spider-Man's in it for a bit. A brief glimpse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, the, the amount of like shit that he's got already from just like... Uh, the, the comments about his suit. Oh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't wear a suit like he. He looks all wrong. His shape is wrong. Oh, it, why? Why would he be holding a shield? It's. It's. It, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just, just. He's just nicked. He's just nicked the weapon off of someone else, isn't he? It's. Yeah. I mean, That's it was why he's absolutely held the shield. fucking ridiculous but to look through the Facebook comments when that was posted. I did think it was a bit oh, bright. That. I did think it was a bit bright, though. It was very. It was very bright. But it's a it's a trailer. <laughs> no, I mean the 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 costume, the, the his his outfit was just very, very kind of, it's, you know, the the bluest blue and the reddest red. I just think it's a bit. I didn't have a problem stupid. with it. I, just, I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought, wow, it's a bit red, isn't it? Yeah, but you you see, there are people out there who would take massive exception to something like that, and apparently they do exist because they're the ones that commented on that Facebook feed that I was reading, but... Um, Don't read Facebook comments. I know, that was my own fault. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Spider-Man news we all need to be concerned about here isn't even specifically Spider-Man related, is that, Jay, is that J.K. Simmons is going to be Commissioner Gordon in yes. Justice mm. League, and therefore now means he basically can't come back and play J. Jonah Jameson, which means it's all fucking wrong! But... J.K. Simmons in DC... I'm looking forward I, to I that. I continue to not give a single shit about DC, and I just want Batman v Superman to come out now so it can just get out of my life. Well, it's only like, a week, only a week, and then it will take like, 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 like three by this point, for... Like, by this point, I really don't care if it's actually good or bad. I just want it out. I want it gone. I'm, I'm, like, I'm just sick to death of, like, 18-month-long mm-hmm. promotional cycles where we get constantly drip-fed hunt all the information mm-hmm. all the time and nobody ever shuts up about it. This is why I'm so, I really hope 10 Cloverfield 
rain holds box office wise next weekend because if it does then at least like then maybe hollywood might take some semblance of a hint but you don't need to saturate the market with endless marketing advertising all the time you can just drop a trailer like that I mean, not two months in advance. That's extreme. Being like, like three months in advance, and then just let the build. Yeah, but it's it is a little bit exceptional with the fact that Cloverfield, it, it's a sequel to yeah. another film, so people will already be yeah, aware that, of what that, it is. And... That, that's what I mean. And also, apparently, in fact, it's not that much of a sequel, which worries me. But it's why it's going to mm. drop horrendously next weekend. But again, like they, they just some just some. I mean, and also this would murder screen one content wise if it was the case but like as a film fan i just i don't want to hear about movies for like 24 months it just makes me mm-hmm. sick of them except we were talking before um a couple of weeks back actually when deadpool came out and saying how the marketing campaign for that was quite good mm. it was a bit different it was um more innovative than just a, a teaser trailer and then a full trailer and then three other versions yeah. of the same trailer and then you can and then piece together the entire script and 900 best quotes coming out the entire time going over kind of oh yeah this movie was tough to shoot and this and that and just yeah yeah it was actually different and made people interested and that seems to have worked because deadpool is like hasn't it recently been overtaken iron man as one of the highest grossing comic book films origin stories yeah um i think it's like 3.9 million away from beating guardians of the galaxy and it is still in america right now comfortably the highest grossing movie of the year it's just, I mean, that is incredible in, in itself that it's done so well. Just an almost through word, nice. of, word of mouth and stuff. Sally Field didn't like playing Aunt May, did she? Oh, yeah. Well, in fairness, nobody seemed to enjoy being in the Amazing Spider-Man it's... series anyway. And who could blame them? It was shit. I, lo- I like to quote, <laughs> it's really hard to find a three-dimensional character in it. And you work as much as you can, but you can't put ten pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. <laughs> <laughs> can I only hear McShane just, like, run for president next year? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ian McShane, uh, Ian McShane has branded Game of Thrones as tits and dragon. Yeah. <laughs> just like both of them. And just there's not, not even get, that much dragon have, have like Harrison Ford as Secretary of Defense or something. Just get all the I don't give a fuck actors together and have them run things. Time now for us to run through what we've been watching while we take a look at films we've seen in the last seven days or so that aren't essentially necessarily new releases in the cinema. Uh, luckily, to save you all time, me and Callum have seen the same thing. Not intentionally, but it doesn't matter. With uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane up next week, we've both seen Cloverfield. Well, we rewatched Cloverfield. We rewatched Cloverfield, yes. Um, there are a lot of gaps in my film knowledge, but Cloverfield is not one of them. Yes, I don't, so, that, 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 that sounds a lot less good when I say it out loud like that. You, <laughs> uh, you, you kind of forget how old Cloverfield is, I suppose, when you, when you think about it. You, Yes, eight years old now. Mm. Um, one of the criticisms some people had of it at the time, including some friends of mine, was that the um, the found footage part of it gave them motion sickness. It was kind of still quite new for such a big film, wasn't it? And the, and the dickhead mate in it went on to play um, Deadpool's mate in Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, it's weird watching that movie now, now that Lizzie Kaplan and TJ Miller are things mm. and stuff <laughs> um but anyway yes cloverfield is about an alien monster who wrecks new york and uh, some people who get caught in it who film it all on a handheld camera it was it was very different for its time i know we'd had some found footage films before um uh, kind of blair witch and but it hadn't become like a a massive genre by then had it like it is now where there seems to be a found footage horror film coming out every month 
if not more frequently. But Cloverfield, it was still kind of a fresh idea. Mm. So I'm letting you speak your piece first, because I've actually got a, a thing planned here. So I just wanted to... Fair enough. Uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. I kind of liked the... Even though it's found footage, it was it was quite... It looked kind of quite big budget in where you saw the monster and where you saw uh, the, the little aliens attacking. And when you saw something like the Statue of Liberty's head being flung down the street uh, and explosions, um, I thought the characters were quite good by and large, even... Really? Well, even, the characters were good. Well, the, I mean, they were okay. I mean, I, I I quite liked Hud, who was just really irritating and making stupid jokes and being a bit of an idiot because there's probably going to be somebody like that around when something happens like this, trying to make jokes and not quite grasping the serious of it all. Mm. Um, I, you know, I didn't mind them. I, I thought some of their plans were a bit stupid and they deal with things and, and do things, but... It moved the story along. Um, I haven't seen it myself since... I uh, just had a quick look at my Letterboxd reviews. I logged it in 2008, so probably when it just came out, and I logged it in 2012, so that, that's the only two times I've seen it. Both times I gave it two stars out of five. I, and I've got the same comment, basically. All the characters were so offensively annoying, I wish they would just die within five minutes of them appearing on screen. Uh, that's my lingering memory of the film, if I'm honest. I thought it was... Um, it was an okay idea. It was quite different, but essentially, yeah, I, I really hated the characters, all of them. I don't remember liking any single one of them, and it was a pleasure to see stuff happening to them throughout that movie. Okay, uh, <laughs> Callum, go. I think Cloverfield is actually a modern masterpiece. I I, right. I I I genuinely believe Cloverfield is actually a modern masterpiece. Because um, very much, his, his Cloverfield, it's like Cloverfield the movie is very much an allegory for the state of America in early 2008, coming on the end of um, you know, George W. Bush's second term. Mm-hmm. Um, very much like a movie about like attempts to grapple with the rise of personal documentation, you know, of um, you know, that that culture where we start filming everything on you know, through YouTube mm-hmm. and. Vimeo and all that kind of stuff, um, and then also specifically the state of America as what like as in a world that's gripped by terrorism. This is very much a film that works through metaphors about terrorism and especially nine um, eleven, specifically because um, through not just the imagery, you know, you know, the dust, smoke, and the fear of that, but also again through the found footage angle. What a lot of films seem to have failed to understand from Cloverfield, and this is a great lie that Cloverfield's perpetuate, is that found footage is a shortcut for you are there immediacy. Like, as a kind of, you know, an easy way to be able to get the viewer there and then be able to put up, you know, cheap scares because, you know, you're there and, oh, it's looking at you right over camera. But that's not why Cloverfield is scary. Cloverfield is scary because it specifically preys on your personal fears of being stuck in the middle of a terrorist attack as everything goes to shit around you and you have no idea what the fuck you can do or any semblance of being able to be safe. That's what. That's why so much, for, like the fact that all the characters are you know, incredibly annoying and barely sketched is kind of a point. You're not really supposed to sympathize with some parts of the characters. It's supposed to be you. Physically there. Yeah, but what, what living, is that living, love living story they shoehorn in, though? Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm going to get to that in a second here. That's why I say it's millimeters away from being a masterpiece here. But like, those first, like, 40 minutes 
when you're stuck there as um like as the monsters ram- sort of rampaging through um new york there as you're stuck there as buildings collapse the bridge goes you're stuck there as hundreds of thousands of people screaming for their lives and you're physically stuck there trying like trying essentially to deal with the fact that everything's going to shit around you and there's nothing you can do about it um that, that very much of a kind of working for that way that's where the found footage comes in is that it actually it's tied so stringently to the themes of the movie instead of just being wouldn't it be fun if we did a if we did a godzilla movie but from personals from a guy's eye perspective there's a full-on meaning for that there and then as well the way the film works instead as well as a metaphor terrorism specifically the response to terrorism as well if you especially if you subscribe to a theory like i do that the monster itself is not actually maliciously evil it's just Mm -hmm. scared and confused and that everything the army is doing essentially blowing it to hell is only making things worse because the monster itself is never like might be eating people, but it clearly is doing more of a curiosity of not understanding what these tiny things are and what's going on. The only things that are being actively malicious are the parasites coming off of it, which go around. And this incident is an observation I did not realize until I just now started uh, like started talking about. It, <laughs> is again like that that time in America where we like where anti-Muslim rhetoric was. I was going to say at its highest, but of course now that. This election well, is coming mm. here. It's somehow gotten even worse. Been trumped, you could say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, you've got that giant monster there, and then you have all the little offshoots instead that are going around causing the biggest deliberate chaos, you know, of jumping out and buying on people. And yet, the monster itself is being as this big claim here. And again, for the way that it enacts 9/11 imagery and terrorist attack here, of that kind of sense of being terrified, and it works so well again in that sense of working again on that you are their immediacy and touching on terrorism uh, on the fears and paranoia that we have of terrorism about that, that time that when the film nearly falls apart i don't say completely again because i do feel like it's, mass, it's a near masterpiece here is mm-hmm. that bit that gap between when they first head down into the subway and before they get onto the you know, the, air, the airplanes before they, you know, the helicopters on the way out here it's when the movie nearly falls down because then it tries to turn into a movie mm-hmm. instead of instead of what is actually is an art film basically like oh then it starts acting a movie you know the kind of we gotta go save Rob's girlfriend and they try and you're putting banter and that's when the movie nearly falls apart because it's not about the people it's never about the people it's about the mood and the feeling and the viewer and the film almost loses sight of that what um what managed to get through is first off is that it ends super strongly like it's it's ending i think i I think it's actually phenomenal like that miserable depressing ending again to further cement that kind of being stuck in a situation here and the government responses are arguably too large made out of fear and just having being able to do nothing here i think it ends phenomenally and also again the fact that it is 70 minutes and then 11 minutes of credits is the fact that that middle segment of the film cut it, it bogs it down, but not so much that it rips out the effects from beforehand either side. Um, I do genuinely believe that Cloverfield is actually millimeters away from being a modern masterpiece. I've always liked Cloverfield, but I didn't realize that I love Cloverfield until I watched it again the other night in preparation for this. And I do, and this is why I'm so excited for 10 Cloverfield Lane, because again, the idea of Abrams reading it and finding parallels in spirit. Like, apparently, it's not specifically mm-hmm. a full on sequel, it's a blood relative, which from what I'm guessing means that it's going to be a movie about about the, about America post like as Obama's term comes to an end as well. And I'm really curious to see where this goes here. Basically, I'm just really fucking hyped for 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> and I do, I do genuinely believe it's a masterpiece. 
Hmm. Maybe I should try it again. Maybe I should give it one more go. Because I definitely did see it on that surface level of it being just a, a monster movie that wasn't particularly scary or yeah. thrilling. So, yeah, okay, you've convinced yeah. me. I yeah, will I mean, try it. I'll dig out the DVD yeah. and give it a, another chance. Yeah, I mean, it's also really playing on my fear as well because I am absolutely terrified of not being able to be in control of any situation as well. And also, maybe this could just be academia finally getting to me and I'm smugly reading too much into fear. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I, again, I genuinely believe it's a masterpiece. I can't bring on Tango Overfield Lane already. See, I've avoided knowing as much as, or as little as possible, whichever one is correct, about Tango Overfield Lane. <laughs> The only thing that I I think I know about it is it's a bit like that bit in War of the Worlds. So um, I think yeah. that that's all I'm going to say in case anyone else is trying and, to avoid and, it as well. And that and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodburn. And, oh God, give it to me now. Give it to me now. Uh, Owen, what have you seen then? I watched Mike Judge's 1996 feature-length cartoon Beavis and Butthead Do America, <laughs> which is, yeah, 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 which is based on his enormously successful MTV characters uh, TV uh, series. Uh, <laughs> you said do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Sorry, I love Beavis and Butthead. Um, uh, now, well, that's interesting. I was going to ask if you two. Are fans of it, Steve. I guess from your reaction, you you are as well. No, I've I've never really seen much of Beavis and Butthead to be honest. I've seen Beavis and Butthead okay. to America. I haven't seen any of any of it for ages, and haven't seen much of it at all to be honest. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll come on to why I think that's interesting in a minute. I'll just sort of for people who don't know anything about Beavis and Butthead to America, um, it is the film of the TV show. It starts with the two slacker. 15-year-olds who have their TV stolen and then they set out to find their TV and end up being mistaken for hitmen and are sent on an assassination attempt that takes them across America. That's essentially all you really need to know. The plot is much of a muchness, to be honest. I probably hadn't seen it since secondary school. I certainly don't remember watching it since then. Um, And I only watched it because we were flicking through Netflix for something anything to watch now that we don't have US Netflix anymore and it's on UK Netflix and uh, Elisa my wife had she had never seen any Beavers and Butthead before anything not a cartoon not a not the film um sketches anything at all she was just aware of them and I thought that was a bit odd so as I'm feeling slightly nostalgic towards the 90s for some reason lately anyway I think it's ever since we watched Tank Girl which is about as 90s as a movie can be. Um, (laughs) We decided to watch this, yeah. And I have never really been a huge fan of Beavers and Butthead. I think I was perhaps a bit too young to properly get it at the time. Because 1996, I was 10. I don't think I got it at 1996. When I watched it, it was in secondary school. I think it was about 12, 13. But I do remember laughing a lot at this film along with other friends of mine from school. And I think it was a mate of mine called Clive who had the film on video. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Whoever it was that owned the film, I definitely remember that Clive was the one who used to absolutely howl with laughter through it. So for some reason, I had this like nostalgic feeling towards it anyway. Um, and I thought it would be better than than it is on a rewatch. And while some of the more like ridiculous elements of it still made me laugh, now watching it like 15 or 16 years later it doesn't it doesn't really hold up particularly well 
in my opinion. The, the problem might be that satirical comedy, like the kind that is done in Beavis and Butthead Do America, has been done so much better since then. Mm. Now, the, the immediate um, show that sprang to mind when I was thinking about what satirical shows they've seen that are similar but perhaps do it better South Park is probably the best example that I could come up with and that came out about a, a year I think after Beavis and Butter Do America and that's something that I also remember being this like sweeping phenomenon when I was in uh, the first year of secondary school we had some copies of that on video that were passed around from someone who'd got it from America and it was just like this is fucking amazing he's calling people gay and saying shit and stuff it's, it's hilarious but it's a cartoon how is this possible but it just you know it just felt like it did the same thing by lampooning the uh current generation in inverted commas you know uh, but obviously with Beavis and Butthead was doing it for Generation X I think South Park was at the very beginning of doing it for Generation Y, and it was probably um, more importantly a hell of a lot more funny to me, or at least consistently more funny and more often. And I think now that I'm a little bit older and able to appreciate some of the more subtleties to Beavis and Butthead, because there are them, they do have a lot of subtleties where they mock the generation that they were, and you know, sort of whose fault is it, and all that kind of thing, rather than just you know, all about Beavis wanting TP for his. Cornholio's bunghole and stuff. It's like, it's pretty much just toilet humour all the way through, but I think there is perhaps a bit more to it. It's just that it is very dated. It's very of his time, and it just isn't that funny. It's just stupid. So, yeah, there was less of a review and just more of a rambling commentary on why I used to watch Beavis and Butthead and stuff, but that's all I've got for you, I'm afraid. It's just a dated movie that I probably won't watch again for maybe another 15, 16 years. Uh, but Callum, you said that you like it, right? So what do you yeah. see in it that I'm not seeing? Uh, I just find it funny. Oh. And, also, <laughs> and also, again, relatively satirical. But also the movie is not exactly a fantastic representation of Beavis and Butthead itself as well because, of course, these characters work better in... Um, you know, like short little, you know, like yeah, seven minute shorts, in, yeah, in, interspersed, interspersed with music video commentary mm-hmm. and such as well. Um, but no, no, I, again, I, I, uh, otherwise, yeah, I do laugh. It's very silly. But uh, mm-hmm. Dario is better. Da- yeah, Dario is great as well. I remember Dario. No, Dario is still great. Like, is it? Like, yeah, no, Dario is still fantastic. I, I finished rewatching it um, like a year and a bit back, and it was still, it's still fantastic. <laughs> it might also help that I'm now a, you know, I'm a university student when I was watching at the time and so a lot of it resonates <laughs> I wonder with Celebrity Deathmatch, do you reckon that still holds up? Oh, uh, I'm actually planning on covering that for Lost Tales at some point I've got, oh, really? go- <laughs> I've got this very good feeling it won't no. What other MTV shows were there from that time? They're all just Aeon the- Flux Celebrity Deathmatch Yeah, we just mentioned Celebrity That's Deathmatch what We just said Worth mentioning twice. <laughs> the concept, uh, the concept no, it, was ridiculous. It was, it was mentioned the MTV2 revival. There we go, let's see, two separate. And apparently, I think they're planning on bringing it back again, because... Why yeah. not? Yeah. Because people still know who Marilyn Manson is. Probably, probably, probably for the same reason that I keep hearing rumours that Jackass will keep going on. Even no. though, you know, no. Although Just, Bad Grandpa uh, wasn't the worst film I've ever seen. I did think that was no, okay. It's, no, it's not. It's not just that. It's the fact that you know Ryan Don died, 
and everybody else is kind of old and miserable now and there hits a point where you kind of just have to admit that it's probably time to just stop. Viva la Bam. Didn't Bam get done for something with a young girl? Oh, I think that's his uncle. And oh, God, oh, this is just turning to the most miserable fucking yeah. conversation. Can't they just keep showing Catfish? Because Catfish is great. No, it's the same thing every Yeah, episode. but it's brilliant. Because every now and again, there's one that's just mental. And you just you think, this like is a, brilliant. You like come dine with me, viewer. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but sometimes there's somebody properly mental. On oh, me. yeah, when you get a proper mental on come dine with me. Or four in a bed. That's, that's TV gold. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was one come dine with me a few weeks ago. It went viral. Where the guy just went absolutely nuts because he lost and kicked them all out of his house. I'm podcasting with my mother right now. <laughs> Time for us now to take a look at four shiny new releases from the cinema, or possibly five, depending on which edit Owen has done. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's all a bit of a mystery at the moment. There'll be at least four shiny new releases for us to view. Uh, review. <laughs> Uh, it is actually four, but because I didn't really know where to insert the Hail Caesar comments, I hesitate to call it a review. It's basically just me and Callum chatting between the breaks about Hail Caesar. Um, if you want to listen to that, then I'll just pull it at the end of the podcast. So just stay tuned after the credits. And we're going to start off with a film that Callum seen, which is Zootopia or Zootropolis, depending on which side of the pond you are from. Yeah, Callum, um, explain why this has happened. Yeah, um, it turns out I didn't even find this out until um, Sunday night when somebody else on, like, one of my critic friends commented on somebody else on Facebook's message about they know it down. It turns out it's called Zootropolis in the UK and Europe because there's a theme park in, I believe, um, Switzerland or Sweden that owns the trademarks to all mentions of the word Zootopia. And so, to get around that, they've had to call the movie Zootropolis in the UK and Europe. Uh, because copyright laws! Hmm. Um, anyways, uh, Zootopia Zoot- is such a better name. It is, because it's a pun, obviously. It is, yeah. But, um, yeah. There, we, but uh, there we go. Uh, also, in regional differences, one of the newscasters in America is, a, I believe, like a deer. And in the UK, we get it as a corgi. So, kind of yeah. balances out. Uh, anyways, right, Zootopia, which is Disney's 55th animated classic, following on from um, Big Hero 6. This I one... mean, I mean, at what point are they allowed to call them classics? Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 they called they call Chicken Little a classic upon release. Can't, you, can't, <laughs> you can't call a film a classic if it's just come out. It, it's it's all about it's all just about the animation canon in general. Okay, don't 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 try and ruin the magic here, Steve. Yeah. Believe me, Disney from two thousand and three to two thousand and nine did that. Trust, trust me, if there's, if there's one person who can ruin the magic, it's me. Just ask a girlfriend. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Hey, I would, but I don't have one. Hey, right. Um, du- directed by Byron Howard of Tangled and Rich Moore of Wreck It Ralph. Um, takes place in um a world where humans never happened. Like, um, humans never happen, and so animals instead evolve beyond their predator and prey distinctions to become um, intelligent, respectable, you know, like, civilized citizens, in a way. Um, however, prejudices aren't, haven't exactly been hit, like, have not exactly died, um, especially for, for prey, who comprise the majority of the population being very, uh, like, being very, you know, resentful over the continued existence of the predators, you know, for the fact that they used to chase and murder them and eat them. But 
Apparently, everything is perfectly fine in a place called Zootopia. I'm just going to keep calling the movie Zootopia ever because it rolls off the top. <laughs> so better. Um, Zootopia, which is a big modern civilized city like in the world that, that, where all, all mammals, um, all walks of life could come together and exist perfectly fine. And the film follows um, Judy Hopps, played by Jennifer Goodwin, who is a bunny living in a you know, backcountry farm but like back one of those little country village, small country villages, um, with her parents, um, who want her to become a far, you know, a farmer. However, Judy fully believes in the idea that anybody can be anything in Zootopia, and so she wants to become a police officer, despite the fact that there's never been a rabbit police officer because bunnies and mm. predators. Um, however, she ends up put, you know, sticking to it, being determined, and aces her and aces her way through the academy and gets assigned to. Um, precinct one in middle of Zootopia and yeah, like the heart of the city so she has down there ready to make a difference only to arrive in Zootopia and find out that it's not in the slightest bit the shiny um, post-racial utopia that she'd been promised um, old, old racial habits and prejudices do die hard I'm going to keep saying racial because I mean it's obviously speciesist but this is a very heavy metaphor for racism and prejudice in general as we'll get to in a second um, and so constantly finds Every, and constantly finds species being racist to each other and also finds her attempts at being able to make a break in the police work and that there to be stunted because um, the chief, played by Idris Elba, does not in the slightest bit believe she is up for any work other than meter maid because she's a bunny and and therefore it's just not cut out for this line of work. Um, it is during, it is in the face of all this prejudice that Judy ends up staking her career on the chance of becoming a real cop by taking on a missing mammals case where eighteen, where um, 14 mammals have been disappearing in Zootopia um, and nobody knows why. And the police can't crack it, but Judy is determined to give it a shot because she wants to be seen as a real detective. So she is given 48 hours to crack the case. And to do this, she ropes in um, sly fox con artist Nick Wilde, played by Jason Bateman, in, in order to help her, you know, go, go around Zootopia, interviews, you know, find out suspects and find out the truth. And what she discovers is a massive, is a massive conspiracy offense to tear Zootopia apart. Um, this sound, I, I can imagine to you two, this sounds relatively heavy for a Disney movie, quite frankly, even with the, all the talking animals kind of stuff there. It's, it? Yeah, I mean, they, they do, um, it does seem more like it would be Pixar, I guess, than... Disney, if you were going to pin it on one animation studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, in that case, that's basically a fact of this second renaissance Disney. Just then basically means you have not been paying attention because second <laughs> renaissance Disney has has been all about tackling more adult grown-up themes through usually whimsical Disney uh, themes. Uh, you've got uh, like Princess and the Frog, you know, about um, hard work. Yeah, uh, that sense of you can't just marry a man or your problems go away. It requires hard work and grit. Um, Wreck-It Ralph, which was, of course, you might not be able to do your dream job, but as long as you take pride in your work and find a way to make yourself happy with what you do, that's okay. Frozen, of course, you have True Love. Does True Love does not need to just be a man you fell in love with five seconds ago. It can be familial. And then Big Hero 6 is all about grief. Zootopia is explicitly a movie about internalized prejudice, um, institu- institutionalized racism, and, manip- manipulated ins- and the effects of manipulated incitement. And if it were just those things, you know, like if it were just, you know, about, like if it were just, you know, a straightforward, you know, racism, go- of like, racism bad, Judy Hopps good kind of movie, then I'd just be sit here bashing it to death for being incredibly ambitious and unsubtle and, you know, childish here. But what it is is actually genuinely nuanced. 
and grown up, but dares to look at the system and not ju- not try and put thing not just not try and put things into simple you know black and white and ending a movie by curing racism. It's actually also a movie that's willing to sit there and hold everybody to account. Like it's not trying to say like because the great lie that we tell ourselves when we want to try and appear you know like fine society is um is that we're not racist or that you know like we're not sexist we're not prejudiced in some kind of way um because like we like to believe we are and we like to try and be so but the truth is we aren't like, like i mean like we are like we are all racist and prejudiced about that in some way but not always intentionally it's because we live in a society that is still heavily like it still heavily has all those barriers about there for sexism, of racism, of homophobia, and such about there. But we've sort we, we have unintentionally internalized as we grow up, and for, and the way we go through our daily lives is to essentially when we are when we do end up slipping up and be you know accidentally being racist or sexist is about it. It's about interrogating that and moving forward, you know, understanding that that you did that, and then moving forward to better yourself. And Zootopia is all about expressing that because um like it'd be so easy for to make to have made judy hopps a good girl role model kind of character like you know somebody who just walks in there and is i can who not only claims to not you know be speciesist or racist and sees everybody you know as equal in some way about there and then be that um instead the movie actually does have her show signs of prejudice and racism as well um for like for example her parents who are incredibly racist but like in that innocently insensitive way um her, keep trying to play up into a fear of foxes you know, you know, foxes and bunnies natural enemies mm-hmm. um and so um, when she's leaving on the way to like you know first of zootopia her parents keep insisting on you know taking various fox repellents kind of things as well but um which initially judy only takes you know a fox way to keep them quiet but then when she's heading out on her first day on the job she still can't resist, even when she says that she's not, you know, going to see all foxes as evil, everything's fine about that, she still can't resist taking the spray. And there's even a bit as well where when they first meet, it's because Judy spots Nick, the fox, in the streets, standing around, looking, like, just, like, standing around, not even really doing anything shady, just standing around, and automatically assumes that he's up to no good. In a way, he kind of is, but at the same time, he's also not doing anything illegal, which then means essentially, again, she's racial profiling somebody, which again, which again is what a hero is doing in a Disney movie. And instead of doing what the other movies I've done, which is you know, just turn a blind eye to this kind of prejudice and just mind it you know, for jokes or whatever, this is the movie that explicitly sits there and goes, no, she did this and this is wrong. And she needs to understand that. And her part of growth is of her understanding that she's not as infallible as she likes to claim she is. But she, as long as she interrogates it and tries to better herself, then that's fine. And that's a really grown-up way of looking at racism. Instead of attempting to do it through a, uh, you know, all you know, like all racism is bad. If you are racist, all you are the worst human being ever. Um, there's a scene about two thirds of the way through that. Sent that, like, put the movie up into the stratosphere for me because it was the exact point I realized that this movie is not going to try and cop out at any point with its theme. It's going to continue trying to handle it in a mature, depth, nuanced way. And it was outstanding for me to watch. Um, and then also, so, like, there's the internalized prejudice, of course, with the um, working police force. If, you know, Judy is not just a bunny, but also a female bunny trying to work her way up in, a, in what is explicitly shown to be a boys' club as well. Um, and then, of course, yeah, racial profiling. The main, fr- for minor spoilers here, the main thrust of the um, 
like of the conspiracy in town is to turn predators quote unquote savage in order to instill fear in the prey to cause division about that in Zootopia itself, which sounds a lot like, you know, race war incitement, but funnily enough seems to be a recurring theme in today's modern, in today's 2016 election cycle, for example, <laughs> as well. And that's savagery as well, that American incitement, it sounds as well a lot like trying to turn, um, you know, like white cis men out there against, um, you know, like you know, black culture or what, or female or like feminism out there through choice words to revert them back to attitudes that are no longer acceptable in modern society. Like, and he even tries to like inter- interrogate support systems as well. Um, like Judy, of course, is told of her life by people you know that she can't be a bunny police officer, and but her parents continually support her through it the entire time. Like they have the money and the resources out there to help fund Judy's dream of being able to break down barriers and, you know, and become a police officer. Nick, it's revealed, um, is a psychon artist fox specifically because the world, it, specifically because he didn't have that support system to tell, the, like, you know, to try and push back against the world's insistence that he could be anything other than a fox. Um, like there's a bit where he, like when he was younger, wanted to be a junior scout troop member. Um, and his mother, it's specifically not here, saved up every penny she could because her, his, you know, his family didn't have the money to be able to support him that much to get him a uniform. And then he goes to the meeting and all the prey there immediately muzzle him and bully him and throw him out because he's a fox and they are racist against foxes as well. And therefore, then Nick realized that he, no matter how hard he tried, he wouldn't be able to buck the quote because he doesn't have that support system behind him. And so decided to become what society told him to be. And I just, I get it's so nuanced and developed and it's like at the same time i'm surprised it comes from a disney a disney movie but more i'm just surprised that any movie is actually was actually trying to interrogate racism and prejudice in this specific way um that is just it's astounding to me i don't think it always i mean it doesn't always fully uh it's not perfect in its attempts at doing it for example it nearly breaks its messages near the end because it's time to reveal the villain and whilst it could make a good point about how you know people who suffer from racism can be racist themselves, um, it also doesn't give them enough time to explain their motives in a way that makes it hard to understand whether they are truly racist or just doing it because of various other scenarios, you know, like the power plays. Um, but it tries. Like, it, it actually physically tries to adjust this, and it does much, so much of it way better than I thought it would, than any of us thought it would. And God damn it, I love a trier. I, like, I love a trier. And again, it does it so well. And it's also, you know, gorgeous to look at, really well performed and very, very, very funny. Um, like the design of Zootopia the world is wonderful to look at. It gets so much out of um, you know, out of the various species cohabitating together, the various environments it has to build in, you know, for them to survive in. And um, as well, because um, Judy, of course, is a small body in a big world, it managed to do fantastic things with, sp- with size and spatial awareness and all that stuff. Uh, Jennifer Goodwin, Jennifer Goodwin, and Jennifer and uh, Jason Bateman even are phenomenal in both their roles. Again, just like getting that buddy, or especially like a buddy cop movie, like chemistry going back and forth together, nailing it supremely, and also again, uh, you know, nailing the laugh lines, but also nailing the drama to a T. Because that's also this is going to be important when we get to Kung Fu Panda Three in a minute here as well. It's also a movie that is very, very funny, um, and it is very, very funny. The jokes are fantastic here. Um, it also knows when to just stop and let the drama run. Like, it doesn't feel the need to undercut every, you know, like every sad sequence with a sudden joke out of nowhere for no particular reason. Um, and because of that maturity, because of that attempt to handle complex themes in a genuinely nuanced way, 
um, it's a, a astoundingly it's an astoundingly relevant and and fant- and intelligent movie that um, is. I need to I, I need to see it again, but I have a I have a very strong feeling this might be the best thing that the second Renaissance of Disney have done. It's just phenomenal. And for me, this is now like the, the bar for twenty sixteen has been set and good luck beating it, quite frankly. Again, it again it, it works it does work as you know, just entertaining an animation on its own right. Uh, but for me, that really is just irrelevant to the prejudice and racism angle and the commitment and the nuance that it shows. It's phenomenal work. It really is. Do you think kids will get all that though? I'd hope so. <laughs> I'd I, hope mean, so. I mean, there's nothing He's... wrong. There's nothing wrong with making a film, whether it's whether it's a Disney animation or a you know a, a live action film, but it, it's obviously a kids' film. Do you think? And forgetting the message of whether it's important that kids get this, do you think kids will get it, or is it too nuanced for kids to understand? Two things. One, it's explicitly about this stuff, so it's kind of impossible to be not getting it. And two, I do believe kids are genuinely smarter than most people give them credit for. And that if they watch it, they might not get the exact kinds of nuance, but they will at least, but I guarantee they will at least get something out of it. So, um, yeah, again, it specifically works on that level, even with the, you know, um, be true to yourself and never give up, up on your dreams side of them all as well. Um, it never overpowers the other, like, the racism prejudice side. Right. So, yeah, again, I, again, I do believe kids will get it. I believe kids are smarter than most people give them credit for. Good. Uh, on to Kung Fu Panda 3 now. Uh, Which you don't have to be very clever to get this one. No. <laughs> uh, the, the Jack Black animated movie that completes a trilogy now any, any good? Uh, it's it's weird isn't it because the first one i think is very much about the humor and a little bit about the animation i mean it looked great for particularly a dreamworks film from 2008 there were some really nice sequences in it i think the bit at the end of the film the big sort of showdown action set piece where poe who's played by jack black sort of bounces around the whole town is is great but that was more about the laughs and the comedy. And, and a lot of it was about his him discovering his place in the world, right? Mm. The second film is about him discovering his place in the film, uh, in the world. But I think there's more emphasis on the style that's used and perhaps less on the slapstick. Um, the third film seems to be like the scales have shifted even further with it being really strongly, uh, you know, visually quite strong film to look at, to watch and that seems to be where they put all of their eggs because the basket, which is for story development character is really lacking in this one. It's just, um, it's completely shifted in perspective from the way that the the series started in my opinion. But I mean, it's not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. It just seems to lack a, a lot of what made the first two so funny. So interesting and dynamic and just like it's just more about looking at pretty pictures is that so i mean am i wrong there kind of i'm going to you because of you know well as the dreamworks as the dreamworks animation expert owen hughes uh i feel like i need like five months separated from 
like that viewing and seeing it again for me to evaluate it properly on its own merits because I can't stop comparing it to Kung Fu Panda 2. Um, mm. Anybody who's read the DreamWorks Animation Retrospective, which um, is on Felcrick's website or on my website, campage.com, with um, working video links now as well. I've updated them to get rid of all the stuff that didn't work on YouTube anymore. Um, we'll know that I am of the belief that Kung Fu Panda 2 is a masterpiece. Um, and probably the finest film DreamWorks animation I've ever done. Uh, the first movie is great, but I can't seem to love it for... I don't even know why, to be honest now, but I don't... So, but the second one is an absolute masterpiece. Um, the animation is tight. The animation is wonderful in the first movie anyway, but it's tightened up so much more in the second one, and the storytelling is far much more mature and nuanced um, than, the fir- than the first one. The action sequences are so much better, and also, again, the way the, film hang- the, way the second film hangles Tigress for me is phenomenal. Um, this is... Well, well first off... Um, it, Step backwards, basically. Yeah, it is. Um, first off, the um, plot of the film is... Um, like, the first movie was about Poe... Like, the plot of the first movie is about Poe finding... Like, like accepting his place in the world. I just said yeah. there. The second one is about Poe accepting his past. Again, like, accepting the past of his back... Yes. Of his back, yeah, yeah. kind of kind of his parentage... And moving forward with that, the third movie, it, like, and therefore that's why, like, that's why the second one I don't feel like is much of a rehash of the first as some like to claim it is. The third movie is a rehash of both the first and the second yeah. ones, and it's about his heritage, but also about who are you, and that's yeah. like that's you've done this, yeah, already, and twice very differently, and it's just uh, yeah, yeah. But, it, and yeah. the problem is like I watch the, watching a movie for me is that the main thing I. Like there are numerous problems with Kung Fu Panda Three. The main one for me is the tone, which is not. It's like normally when we talk about tone problems in movies, we talk about the kind of oh, it's try, it's done a bad job of juggling between the various tones, and it's not that the tone juggling is. It, it's not the tone juggling here in um, Kung Fu Panda Three. Like it, it's not that, like that's not a problem. Jennifer U, U. Nelson. Um, and we're going to get back to her in a second because, oh, God, I love Jennifer U. Nelson. Um, <laughs> is amazing. At, um, like, juggle the tones of Kung Fu Panda 2 magnificently. And she does so here. Like, the tones don't clash in a, like, in a general sense of, oh, we're gone for comedy. Now we're drama. Now we're comedy again. Now we're drama. Um, instead, it's more the fact that the film is deliberately trying to be more of a com- is tr- deliberately playing up the comedy elements of the action yes, comedy it's... drama. And... But it over-exit a lot. It's just... Yeah, uh... there's a, there, there are a lot of jokes in this movie, and every time that there is, you know, a dramatic beat hits, it will cut to a laugh line. And mm. it doesn't... For me, it doesn't fit what Kung Fu Panda should be. Like, Kung Fu Panda 2 is a masterpiece for me because, as I mentioned with Zootopia, it is a very funny movie, but it also knows exactly when to stop making jokes and just let the drama unfold. It understands that kids aren't dumb and don't need to be pandered to every five, like every three well, minutes. Hey, pandered to. Uh, uh, like every three minutes with a laugh line or a joke character or something to undercut, you know, the tension and the sadness. It trusts them. The first so are we going to pin all of this on Alessandro Carloni, who's the co-director on this one? No, no, no. Again, I don't think there's a directing problem. I think it's a <laughs> screenplay problem. Screenplay problem. Okay. Another reason we're going to get to in a second. Um, Again, and again, the tone, like, the over-comedy, I get why I get why they decide to aim more for comedy, but I just don't think it's the right tone for this franchise. Like, Kung Fu Panda 2 hit that exact sweet spot. Like, the exact tone of action, comedy, and drama. Because it, it, exactly like, you know, martial art, a lot of martial arts cinema. 
as well, which is what Kung Fu Panda 2 felt like. It felt like a genuine piece of, mm-hmm. it did. Yeah, of like mm-hmm. Asian Chinese martial arts cinema, but being able to take advantage of what animation can do. Like it, it not just being, oh, here's an animation arts movie with animals. It's like there's genuine interest in that. This one instead feels, again, a bit too much like it's trying to hedge its bets and therefore aim more for comedy. And I don't think that's the tone that's right here. The other problem for me, again, with the screenplay is the movie is 91 minutes long, and that includes credits, and that's too short for what it's trying to do because it's trying to do a lot. And I can't really cut anything out because... Um, first off, the plot of the movie is um, first off, Master Shifu, Dustin Hoffman, is retiring from teaching the Furious Five and Poe and is passing on the teaching skills to like the teaching role to Poe himself, who doesn't feel like he's ready to be able to teach the Furious Five. And this comes around at the same time that Poe's biological father, Lee Shan, played by Brian Cranston, um, turns up, revealing that um, Poe is not the last panda alive, but there is actually a secret village full of pandas still alive. And so he's having to connect with that whilst um, Mr. Shen. Um, uh, played by God, I've forgotten his name. Um, as well, like, is worried. Mr. Shea is uh, worried that he's going to end up losing you know, Poe to um, Ryan Cranston. And mm-hmm. then, whilst this is going on as well, um, J.K. Simmons play who is again two J.K. Simmons animated movies in the same week here as well. Because uh, he's in Zootopia as well. Um, is retu- plays Kai, who was an evil. Uh, who's an evil spirit realm master who has returned to the earth after 500 years and is ready to take the chi of every panda and kung fu master in all of china and you know and then become powerful enough to just take over all of china and so po needs to learn chi in order to you know learn to master chi in order to be able to take down kai there's a lot going on there especially when we start cutting back between po at the panda village and the furious five as well and Essentially, it's the point where because it's 81 minutes and everything's needed, but there's also still not enough time to flesh everything out. And it just blows up the flaws of the Kung Fu Panda series even more in that Poe's a fantastic character. Uh, Mr. P- Ping is a, is a fantastic character. Shifu is a fantastic character. Tiger is a fantastic character. But the rest of the Furious Five kind of just exist. And but they were given a lot more to do, I felt, in this. Well, like, was, I, I, I heard David Cross's voice more times in this film than I think a did across the other two. Yeah. No, the same with Jackie Chan. He was Yeah, like he was um on screen a lot more. He had more to do. Yeah, no, or no, at least he had more to say. Yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack, yeah, Jackie Chan has more like says more in this movie than I think in both movies combined beforehand. Yeah. But like problem is that there are events that happen in this movie with the Furious Five that should be massive emotional gut punches. Um but they don't really resonate because they haven't really been given the screen time to fully develop as anything other than here are master kung fu people who Poe admires a lot, a lot, and also look what voice actor we've given to it, which is fine in you know like in previous movies because their whole point was meant to be you know, in the background. Um, here, when you need to use it as the big you know, like emotional gut punch, here it doesn't really work and not just because when there is one moment comes along with david cross's character immediately decides to try and cut the tension slightly with a joke um again like it it needed they need more character time but all of it really needs more character time the other pandas and panda village needs a bit more time even if they are just you know home for lots and lots of busy panda jokes um kai I, I do like Kai as a villain, mainly because of J.K. Simmons' phenomenal voice work. Um, like, the way that he, he does... There are moments where J.K. Simmons bellows with that J.K. Simmons voice, but most of the time, instead, just speaks in that, like, you know, 
low baritone, which actually is really, really rather unsettling there as well. Like Simmons does magnificent voice work there. Um, but instead, like all the movie needs more time to breathe. It needs more time to relax. It needs more time to flesh things out instead of just you know cutting between all these scenes immediately and getting in and out. Um, so stuff doesn't really resonate as much on there. And overall, I feel like the film feels minor. Like it feels more minor than Kung Fu Panda 2 did. Specifically, as, uh, as an example, there are I count like four giant emotional gut punches in the movie. Most of them in the last you know, like 20 minutes or so because that ending is fantastic. Um, but one of them is the flashback sequence from Kung Fu Panda 2, you know, where Poe's mother leaves him, uh, you know, leaves him and then gets killed by the wolves, um, played ad verbatim, like ripped straight from Kung Fu Panda 2 and then played in full for like a minute on, on screen. And that just feels like a movie's kind of going like, yeah, do you remember how much better, do you remember how much better we did this in the last movie? And like Kung Fu Panda 3 is great. I mean, I'm going to get onto some positive stuff in a minute here, but it has to follow Kung Fu Panda 2. And I can't help but have my opinions of this movie colored by it. Like, I can't help but be disappointed because this is a sequel to a masterpiece. And instead of even really being great, it's kind of just good. Like, it's not bad. It's not terrible. And I will get to why it's not bad in a second. But uh, God, I can't help but be disappointed with it because it should be so much better. Um, that said, however, there is still a lot to like about it. Specifically, oh, Jennifer Yu Nelson, I love you. Um, her directorial work of Kung Fu Panda 2 is phenomenal uh, because this is a gorgeous, these are, this is a gorgeous series. Like, like even, even as I mentioned earlier as well, even though I understand like this is a gorgeous series, mm-hmm. um, not just because of the character designs and the art design of it, but because as I've mentioned all the time, it's because of boarding of storyboarding. Um, not to say that other animated films you like are lazy, Mr. God, but a lot of animated films don't, take as much for me anyway don't take as much effort in crafting the individual scenes and shots as i feel like they could like a lot of them a lot of them for a lot of um, examples of that mainly mainly exist to just you know depict the action like um for example like can either of you think of a single memorable image in despicable me like in any of the despicable me movies like not character design wise like like any specific sequence that you sat and watched and was like this is a marvel of animation right here. This looks outstanding. Can you, either of you think of anything that sticks out? No, but I don't think that that's what Despicable Me kind of goes for. You have to keep on finding Dis- my points, Owen, don't you? But like, the, like the idea, <laughs> like, 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 Kung Fu Panda Three work, like the Kung Fu Panda series always understands the value of boarding, and therefore tries, to, and therefore every frame has clearly been agonized over to such extent that you can clearly see that this is being designed to look outstanding and not just the big show-off action sequences, which are phenomenal. And um, as well, there are multiple montages in this movie that um, are done in this kind of like cell shade, like 3D cell shading kind of fashion, playing off various different shades of your reds and oranges together. And it looks outstanding. Oh God, it's amazing. Um, but also like the individual scenes, the quiet, the quieter scenes, the dramatic scenes, even just like a standard conversation between two characters in, say, like the Panda Village, is still framed and boarded in a way that's clearly like framed and boarded in a way that's aimed specifically at the kind of we're not cutting corners here. We are going to make every shot look as outstanding as we can possibly make it, and it's and therefore it all leaves an outstanding impression because even when the film goes, because then when the film goes big, 
it's you know it's mind-blowing but even when it's not going big it's still like i sit there i just go you people know exactly how to board each and every scene of us here it's phenomenal um especially everything in the spirit realms as well like the way that it handles lighting uh, of a different color light lighting and shading and various different auras and the phone and build platforms and oh god it's like i'm watching the legend of Korra, but in 3d animation um so like it looks gorgeous voice forms are still all fantastic and though um again i feel like it it's like the tone is too jokey for my taste it is funny and i did laugh at most of it some of it's a bit too annoying like for a lot of the panda sequences filled up my fears that i thought it would be of you know just easy panda jokes um and and one weird moment where it seemed, and like one weird character that very much seems like it was trying to make fun of mentally disabled people, which, mm, but otherwise, but, but yeah, again, this is actually a perfectly fine movie, perfectly serviceable, very entertaining, and probably going to be the best looking animated film of the year by a country mile, and not just because of what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, God, Norma for North's out in three days. Um, but as the sequel to Kung Fu Panda 2, this should have been better. Like it's good, it's fun, and also I love how it managed to take back how it managed to take back kung fu kung fu fighting. Like at the end, you know, like that piece of like mm-hmm. cultural appropriation, the way it brings it back to China, because well, uh, with you know the Chinese singing in the chorus and that there, that looks outstanding. Like not looks sounds outstanding. Um, but um, again, it's for for me, it's the disclosure thing here, where Settle is one. It like Chemical is not a bad album. Calico is a very good album, but following on from Settle, one of the best dance albums of the decade so far, it's not good enough. Even though, and it's also trying not to be that first movie, in, that first album in general, which means it, the apples to oranges comparison is not really the same, and the metaphor kind of falls apart. But you hopefully get the idea. Like, again, like it's a very good movie on its own merits, but I still feel like I can't help but be disappointed. I feel like we should be better. We're going to review the last new release um, for this this week's podcast. It's very rare that me and Callum will see eye to eye on films, <laughs> um, but we do on this one. Divergent Allegiant, the third film in the Divergent series, which is based on the third book that they split into two films. They've Harry Pottered the fuck out of this one. A book that apparently, um, and this is even with the movie that we're watching right now, had nothing going on it. No. So, <laughs> this, this, um, this film is, is bilge. Yeah, it's boring. It's dull. I what I right. So my girlfriend wanted to go and see this, so we did. I saw the. I've seen the first one, and it was okay from what I remember. I might have seen the second one if I did. It was instantly forgettable. But I thought this one would be just. I thought I could put up with it for two hours in the cinema or however long it was on for. It is. It is for those who are not familiar with Divergent. Um, series. It's 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 basically a low rent Hunger Games. Yeah. Now it's... I didn't I didn't enjoy the Hunger Games so much myself. Not really my kind of films. But there's a lot of um, books being made into films of this kind of ilk. So there's Hunger Games, Divergent, Maze Runner. There's the one set in space that I can't quite remember with Harrison Ford in it. Um, Ender's Game. Ender's that, Game. That, That's the that, one. that that one's not fair. Ender's Game yeah. came a long while before this stuff. Okay. Fair enough, but but they, but they share. Uh, um, let, let's let's say you said the fifth wave instead. That's that's yes. similar. Okay, um, and and this one is, I mean, this this divergent allegiant is just boring. 
worthless. It, it's absolutely worthless. And um, I mean, I can only describe it as, as the lead act, the lead, the lead actor, and the lead actress is as somebody I've not seen in anything else, and the guy who played the dickhead in the, the Inbetweeners movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's essentially it. That's how yeah. I descri- that's how I can describe well, them. Well, that, well, I like to describe them as somebody who is far too good for this shit, and an Abercrombie and Fitch model that just accidentally wandered off the set one day. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, for for a film of this type that's aimed at teenagers, essentially, you'd expect something to happen you expect there to be some action um and, or a theme or yeah, thought, or, or anything really it's just, it's just i don't know what miles teller's doing in these films what, what what else did you expect from the director of such cinematic classics as the last one of these r.i.p uh-huh. and the time <laughs> traveler's wife i mean with such well, a sterling track record yeah um i mean what <sighs> I, I, I realise how this is going to sound to listeners, especially since the last time I was on here, I yeah, understandably did come off as snobby and that as well, but the continued success of this, the continued financial success of this series to me just proves the average moviegoers are stupid and will accept anything. And I hate, I hate saying that. I really do hate saying that because I know exactly how it sounds and I hate being that guy. But these movies do nothing, say nothing, have no ambitions, no characters, no plots, are barely competently made, and yet they make money. And yet people go to see them, and there are people who will legitimately call this series one of their favourites. And it baffles me, really. It really does. Like, I mean, we've been having issues with Hollywood recently where they just assume that we're going to, like, they assume empathy from the audience. They're kind of like, we'll care about what's going on here because the characters care about what's going on. And, yeah, as and some people calling that, oh, it's the death of Hollywood cinema in very snobbish ways. But, again, like, here in Legion, there really is nothing to care about. And there are no characters. And this is just a worthless series with no ambitions or anything they can except lining some entertainment's pockets with money from people who are desperate for female-led, for female-led franchises. Like, despite the fact that Triss is one of the single worst characters in any fran- like lead character in a franchise I've seen in ever because she's not even a fucking character. You just um, think it's well, what what's like what's Jeff Daniels doing in this? Uh, why is Jeff why is my, at, the, uh, at the at the end like where they're clearly setting up part 2 mm. where they don't need a part 2 where he's looming over the main characters like some yeah. fucking force ghost. <laughs> why, why, why is Xander Berkeley here? Why is Maggie Q here? Instantly, I mentioned both those people because you should all go watch the CW's version of Nikita, which is a fanta- which is a very good TV show and far better than this shit. Um, I was going to say, why is Mackay Pfeiffer here? But he's gone after two minutes. Um, just why, uh, why does this... Like okay, like this series is worthless. Don't watch it, Steve. Can we put up a spoiler warning now and do what we do whenever we talk about these movies, which is just relay the stupid plot to Owen? Oh, right. So, so right. What what I can, <laughs> what I can understand from the Divergent series is something's caused the downfall of civilization. We don't ever really find out what that is in the films, as far as I can tell. And we then, did, and it's really stupid. It, it, right. Okay. What what is it? Right. Okay. Um. So, once upon a time. Mankind cracked the human genome, and therefore oh, yes, discovered. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And, be, and therefore discovered how to be able to me- fix people. 
you know, like how to fix deformities and make them smarter and such about that. And they thought that could bring people together, you know, clear div divisions. Unfortunately, because this is a sci-fi dystopia, and obviously, it all it did was drive people further apart, and subsequently created some kind of nuclear war that ravaged the Earth, um, and left people damaged. But a few, uh, and a select few people pure. Damaged people are people whose um, genomes have been altered in such a way that they are like not a completely well-adjusted human being. You know, like too much candor and you lack empathy or some fucking shit like that. Um, Just really complicated names for the emotions yeah, uh, in Inside but, Out. Yeah, and um, for, and, the, and Chicago, which is of course where everybody's been pointing to, is actually a science experiment by a whole bunch of scientists who are trying, who are at quote unquote working to fix the world. Again, we've already put up a giant spoiler warning here, so we'll tell you what they're really doing in a minute here. Um, where the idea was, if they could take quote unquote damaged people, put them in a non-toxic environment like Chicago, that they would all come together and heal it instead instead of doing what they actually did, which is divide it further apart. But you see, because you see, Tris is the only one who has actually tried to heal society because guess what? She's pure blood. Uh, because of fucking course she is. Um, and so, Jeff Daniels' um, idea is to try and study her in order to discover how her pure blood can be replicated in other people. Um, but you see, because this is divergent, and all adults, of all, like, you know, and all adults, and all authority figures of all kinds are all completely untrustworthy because of fucking course they are, um, Jeff Daniels is, is and the scientists have no intention of trying to fix Chicago. They're just using it as a personal big brother guinea pig experiment. And that, that idea of rescuing damaged people um, is to go out into the wilderness and steal children from their parents, gas everybody so they can't forget any, so they can't remember anything, and then throw them into um, some kind of environment as a big militia force. Because reasons. Incidentally, as well, for a series and a genre that is all about, you know, that is aimed at women and is about giving them strong female characters, Triss is a fucking idiot, isn't she? Her entire character in all these movies is, well, is that she doesn't have a character, but her thing is that she trusts everybody, like excessively trusts everybody all the time. Her role in this movie is to trust Jeff Daniels, even though he is, even though he, him and everybody else walks on stage wearing giant, hello, we are going to be evil signs. And yet she, her entire thing is to go around trusting him completely, whilst for the guy, is the guy who goes, you realise that these people are probably all evil, right? But, um, I, I, and he's the one who gets to go off and do the ass kicking and find out everything's wrong. And, you know, essentially be a smart guy, whilst Trista's entire character is to be incredibly fucking dumb, which is, uh, well, that's one way to look at, at gender politics in movies, let me tell you. Um, as well, oh god, that's not even mentioning the scene where Zoe Kravitz is in this. Um, she's been in all these movies for some reason, as Triss's best, as Triss's female best friend. Um, there is a scene in this movie where she gets so little to do here, like, she gets so little to do in this movie, where there's a bit where Triss is just sat on a bed, like, navel-gazing. And then Zoe Kravitz comes in, um, sits down, starts to talk to her, and then two seconds later, Ansel Elgort walks in, tells Trish she needs to come see something, walks out, and that's the end of the scene. Like, there's literally, no, there's literally so little for Zoe Kravitz to do in this movie that she can't even have one conversation with, with the lead character without being kicked out of the movie by other white. It's hilarious. Um, the whole world seems to be run by teenagers. Yeah. Um, it, it's, or, or, or adults playing teenagers. Yeah, exactly. And it's... All, and, Oh, and, and, uh, and also, the movie as well even seems to break its own fucking morals repeatedly. Like, the whole point of this is the idea is that, you know, 
division is bad and if everybody came together to work things out we'd live in a happy Springfield utopia but um, they got rid of the faction system at the end of the second movie and in the third one without even needing any interference by um, you know, the evil scientists who are manipulating things as a fun guinea pig experiment kind of thing society still it, like now that it's no longer in factions is just tearing itself apart and the like for, because reasons again because what's the point of rebellion every every politician's evil which is the exact same thing as the end of mocking jay part two and that rushed through it in five minutes and was still better done and more nuanced than this fucking series has done it um as well wow, that's if that was more nuanced than anything yeah and there's that's, also that's going to... like and there's also a bit as well where um like tris and everybody in that there of course find out that in the end the big evil scientists are going to gas all of um chicago um you know, like, with forget, with forget-me-not spray, basically. The fucking forget-me-not pills from Arrested Development, basically. Um, and it's meant to be the kind of, we need to get in there and convince everybody that the real enemy's outside. And so they go in there, you know, to rescue everybody and do it by murdering a whole bunch of people in Chicago. Because action finale and reasons, I guess. Um, again, nobody in this movie is ca- are, are characters. Um, all the dialogue is awful. Everybody is atrocious. Shailene Woodley, can, can, can somebody please airlift her out, out of this franchise? Like, she's growing visibly more desperate to just get out of here now. And her and Theo James have all the sexual chemistry of Charlie Poof and, and Megan Trainer. Um, be glad. That's a joke for all of you who've been forced to listen to that Marvin Gaye song. Be glad if you two have no idea what I'm on about there. Be glad you're living much happier lives. Oh, than I like. know what you're on about. I just... Yeah. Um, um, mm. My, Miles Teller's entire. Miles Teller's entire character here is basically just to walk on stage, like to walk into the film and act as a guy going, you people are all fucking idiots, which makes him the most likable person in the movie. Even, uh, even, even as he's clearly being told by the camera to tone down any trace of joy or Draco Malfoy smugness because he's clearly being too happy for this fucking self-serious piece of shit. Um, there are no, there's no humor, there's no fun. There are multiple scenes where all of our cast stand in a rain, so, like in a rain sodden warehouse, looking like they're trying to recreate the video to all the things she said by tattoo for some godforsaken fucking reason. And, and she, um, like, she even says to some people, "Don't have to come with us," and they still yeah. do. Don't have to do this, but they still do. Yeah, and just sort of like trying to find something to do, even though they don't need to. It's just yeah. pointless. The plot is pointless. Yeah, and all of it's, it's and all of it's thematic, and like and all of it's quote unquote thematic relevance can basically boil down to there's a bit near the beginning where they're doing you know trials you know of the traitors to practice society where they're debating whether or not they're going to execute them or let them live and it literally comes out just hearing two very distinct voices like in this crowd shouting kill him he deserves to die no let him live don't kill him and that's basically the that's basically the entire movie's thing to moral ambiguity there's just two people really awkwardly shouting themes back at each other with no nuance or deft handling um, oh, and also, there's a special effect in this movie that made me genuinely laugh out loud. Have you? Are you both aware of the um, Sonic invinci- of the invincibility rings from um, Sonic the Hedgehog? You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but carry yeah. on. Okay. Um, there's there's a bit of a movie where they're being transferred, you know, from the desert to the um, safe city, and they have to fly around in these ridiculous fucking green pods, like. Green, poo brown pods that look like the Sonic Invincibility rings from there and are some of the lowest rent CGs. Everybody just te- terribly flies around her, and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and like, that's a, it's just, but again, you know, this series is fucking worthless and it has no point and it does nothing. And why, 
why does this why have i got to sit through another movie of this here why why oh and I'll, that's not even mentioning as well the fact that this is one of those movies with you know ultra smart villains who prepare for everything and only end up losing because they are because they have to essentially act really fucking dumb for two seconds because otherwise the heroes lose and that's not a good ending for a movie apparently and just oh god get this movie out get this series over with please please uh. And uh, we're about to get this podcast over with as well, I think, um, because all that's left is our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go for uh, Saturday evening uh, on Film 4 at 5 past 11 is the Formula One film Rush. Owen? It's been a little while, actually, since I've recommended a Korean film, but there's one that's on... Um, Thursday evening, Friday morning, however you want to, whichever one you would prefer to go with, 1.15am. Uh, it's Korean thriller with Ha Jung-woo, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, so I've pronounced his name. He gets sent to Seoul to kill a guy by a gang boss. It's called The Yellow Sea, and it's incredibly good. It's uh, just a, well, they, they produce a lot of these fantastic thrillers, and that's one of one of the better ones. Okay, and Callum. Um, I hate to play Captain Capitalist here, but next, but on Monday it is basically a smorgasbord of quality films are being released on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, Carol, Steve Jobs, uh, the Hunger Games series is out on a full-on DVD box sets as well. Um, just again, any of those three you could put on there. I am, I love the Hunger Games series, unlike everybody else. Um, Steve Jobs was my 14th was the 14th best film I saw last year and again is home to Aaron probably the best script film script Aaron Sorkin has ever done and Carol is the second best film I saw is technically the best film I saw last year near perfect and an outstanding movie um, not the greatest LGBT film of all time however because it's been only been out for five fucking months please <laughs> give it time people let films like that age like a fine wine before you excessively throw you know giant awards on them like that and i say this as somebody who has said that grimsby is going to have to be the worst film i see this year so okay that is all for this week's failed critics podcast then uh thank you all for listening um owen what's up next week (laughs) next week ah well it's a 202nd episode <laughs> that's a thing that's a thing to, to point out because we did nothing special at all for not that i'm saying paul's not special um especially in many ways it's just that that episode we did not really prepare for um you did a triple bill you could claim we that did was... we did um I, I, I don't know how it quite worked out this way when i originally counted what would be our 200th episode it would have been the one we're doing next week. <laughs> but somehow two extra episodes have sort of appeared in between since then. So we're celebrating our 202nd episode in traditionally shambolic fashion. Celebrating round number uh, anniversaries is overrated anyway. Yeah, we're going to be all hipster and cool. But the guests will have James Diamond back and Andrew Brookers on as well. Oh. So... Um, it, we promised one thing, though. It will not be five hours long. Yeah. Like 150. It'll be eight. It'll be ten. <laughs> We're going to watch back-to-back the Divergent series. <laughs> Just live commentary yeah. on all of watch them. Watch everybody yeah. lose their minds. Mm. 
Uh, but yeah, thank you all for listening this week. And me and Owen will be back next week with some film related nonsense to celebrate 202 episodes of us wasting our life and your time. <laughs> The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. So should we do Zootropolis first? Yep. And then Kung Fu Panda, is that then that's animation altogether? Yeah. Uh and then Hail Caesar <laughs> and then Divergent load of bullshit. Yep. yep. I'll uh, just get the Hail Caesar Wikipedia page up because I did not make notes of this. Uh no, okay, scrap Hail Caesar in that case, because I did review it, I just realised. But it was on I did it through front row, which also comes out as a podcast through here. Oh, so don't, uh, what don't do worry think, about it. What do you think of it? I thought bits of it were outstanding. I, uh, I, 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 I'm of the opinion of like it's um, it's definitely nowhere near their best, but I love it and um, I, I love the feel of it as well. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's definitely like it's almost like watching a series of independent little movies. Yeah, str- strung together through a narrative with Josh Brolin. Yeah. There's, like a the... me, there's a part of me that wishes it was just you know like a, a ten part half hour HBO series instead of a movie. Like to spend more time. So that each world. episode could have been themed around sort of like an MGM musical or a. Well, just, spe- well, just like to spend more time in that world, like with those yeah. characters, because it already feels like so well realized that you could just keep going back there. But you know, like, yeah. when, the, when the trademark Cohen anticlimax kicks in, it's mm-hmm. kind of a shame that I've been ripped out of that world. Like I just kind of want to see more. I also think actually works as a good counterpoint to um Inside Lewin Davis as well. Again, about finding worth in your art. But um. Yes. Well. It, it reminded me more, though, of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But that could just be because Clooney was in it. Yeah. But it, it, I, I, I think it had that same thing where it, it's probably improved by having the context to fit the film into. Yeah. Know, yeah. Sort of the, the death of the golden age of Hollywood and how that was coming and the future. Oh, I wonder what that actually means, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, like I, 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 sat, I sat in a cinema with that. First off, with, like, I sat in a cinema with a bunch of Channing Tatum fans who were there to see Channing Tatum. And a family that had brought their definitely like eleven year old son with them as well. So um, <laughs> I was just like, I wonder what we all going to be like watching a Coen Brothers movie. This will be interesting. Yeah. Um, also, but hey, it, it's no a serious man, which is like true. Which has leapfrogged up to one to being like my second favorite Coen Brothers movie. Like I watched uh, it, High you know, Five, Internet High Five. Yeah, yeah Internet I love High that Five. God, I love that movie to death. Especially as yeah. basically just talking to me. Anyways, but yeah, like that's fine. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, Zoo, Z- so Zootopia, Concrete Panda 3, and then Allegiant. Yes. Right. right, are we ready? Mm-hmm. I might leave that bill in now, or, you know, just because I thought it was quite an interesting comment. But anyway, yes, we'll no, move on. Like, we'll, like, we'll just, like, you can just shuffle it around somewhere. Yeah.